evening, this afternoon, I want to talk to you all about surrender. So if you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Uh, probably very familiar passages of Scripture to you. Uh, I hope, Hopefully you have all memorized this passage. If you haven't, I really encourage you to do so. Um, it was one of the first me- uh, passages of Scripture I ever uh, re- uh, memorized as a new Christian. You know, they're familiar passages for a reason, because they are so useful, they're so encouraging and challenging to us on a regular basis. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the wonderful food, the wonderful fellowship, the blessing of the day. So thankful to you for this group of believers that gave up part of their busy Sunday afternoon and they could just be out doing other things, but they chose to come here to sit in your your house to be part of the body. And Lord, we just ask you please that you would use this message today to encourage, to challenge and equip us, Father, for the for living in this very challenging world that we have around us. Help us, Father God, to be conformed closer into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please use me, Lord. Uh, Overcome my fatigue and tiredness, but Lord, just let it be all of you. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory. We give you all the glory, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a missionary, I have had the privilege to travel to 26 countries around the world. I've had the privilege of going and meeting a whole lot of new, different people. And uh, my favorite place to to witness to people is on the airplane. Um, You have a captive audience. I have yet to get somebody that gets up and walks out the door on me. And so it's really an awesome opportunity. I've actually been able to lead quite a few people to the Lord on airplanes, flying to different places. Um, And so, but one thing that that has come to my mind over and over and over again. Uh, Everywhere I've been, every church I've been in, um, and it's always the same thing, and it's that the laborers are few. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, the Bible says that when he uh, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, for they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he gives us a prayer request. He asks us to pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You see, the, the fact is the laborers are few everywhere I've gone, but it doesn't have to be that way. It comes down to surrender. And so, you know, the, God does not force any of us to get saved. Uh, that day in, in 1995, where I was stepping off the roof, he didn't make me get saved. He gave me a choice, and we all have that choice. So we don't, he doesn't force us to get saved, but he also doesn't force us to surrender. That is a choice we make as Christians. You know, the world will tell us we're an accident. The world will tell us that you're supposed to focus on the things of this world, but we have a different focus within the body of Christ. I was telling Brother um, um, Alex earlier, you know, you think about if, if you were to adopt a child, okay, a pastor in a church in Michigan just a couple weeks back, they had adopted six children um, that were all um, alcohol uh, 
babies, babies that have fetal alcohol syndrome. These very challenged, the, the lives that these children had, their families were a mess, there was sin everywhere, and, and all of the, the health issues and the trials and everything. And, and these children, they get adopted into a new family, right? And so a family of someone who loves the Lord and serves the Lord. Now you would expect that adopted child's life to change, wouldn't you? You'd expect them not to let go back and when they get older, how heartbreaking it would be if they went back and became just like their former parents, right? Because they're now adopted into a new life, a new family of new purpose, new direction. We are adopted into the family of God. We are taken out of this sin-cursed fallen world. We're given a new family, a new father, new brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should be living something differently. There should be a different life that we now live in the flesh. And Paul says it here in Romans. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. You see, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to you and I. You know, in the eternal relationship, my wife is my sister in Christ. I love her dearly. She's my best friend in the world. But in eternity, she's going to be my sister in Christ. And you, if you are saved, you are my brother and sister in Christ. We are brethren. Paul is talking to us as Christians, and he's beseeching us to do something with our Christian life. Now, that's not a word we use very often anymore in our English language. Um, in fact, I've actually only heard it used one time apart from in Scripture. There was a missionary, Brian Schaefer. He's church planting in, in uh, Kansas City, uh, Kansas. And he was up at the platform and he was sharing his burden for the people in Kansas and, and how he wanted to reach them with the gospel. And he was passionate. And in that passion, he says, I beseech you to pray for us. You see, he's passionately pleading with us. And that's what Paul is doing. That's what the word beseech means. Passionately pleading with us because the laborers are few. So we're going to talk about surrender. I'm going to look at that word beseech. Keep your place in Romans for me, but turn to Exodus chapter 3, and let's look at something I find very interesting here. Hopefully you will as well. Exodus chapter 3, you're going to find the very first time the word beseech appears in Scripture. The con Exodus chapter 3, the, the context is Moses, who's now 80 years old, he's keeping the flock there. He's left Egypt. As an 80-year-old man, he's walking and he sees a burning bush that's not consumed. Right? And the Bible tells us in verse 4, and uh, I'm sorry, in um, verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. You see, he's living his life. He's going through his normal things of the world. He's got a profession. He's got a life. He's got a family. But he sees something of God, and he turns aside. He makes a decision by choice to turn towards something that was of the Lord. And when he turned towards the bush, in verse 4 it says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. So here's the context. Moses surrenders to the Lord, says, here am I. Now it's interesting that Moses has no idea what he surrendered to. He knows the one he's surrendering to. Now if you skip down with me, you'll see in verse number, excuse me, in verse number 18... Moses is told by God that he's going to go back to, uh, to Pharaoh. He's going to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And verse 18 says, And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and he shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee. 
Three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. First time you see the word beseech used in Scripture. Now, you think about that. Moses is told to go to Pharaoh where the people of God, Israel, have been in captivity for over 400 years, living in complete bondage, in absolutely horrific conditions, surrounded by people that did not worship and know the true God, surrounded with idolatry. They could not worship Him in the way they wanted. They were having to put their children, they were murdering their babies. Mothers were like having to deal with the fact that they would have a child and that child would be murdered in front of them. Remember Moses was saved from that, or Miriam. They, in that situation, living in Egypt, living in that bondage, in that horrible situations in slavery, they were going to go to Pharaoh and they were going to beseech him to let them go. Now, if you were one of those women, mothers, that was, that was facing that situation, you, when they went to Pharaoh, do you think that they came up to him and said, hey, you know, I have an idea. How about we, how about you let us go? Or do you think maybe there was some passion behind that? That plea of a mother that doesn't want to lose her child. That plea of that person who wants to worship the one true God, but they're in Egypt and they can't do it. And they want to be set free. They want to get out of Egypt. And they go to him passionately pleading with Pharaoh, let us go. That's the context of what we're looking at. Moses says, here I am. And then they passionately plead with Pharaoh to let them go. Turn back to Romans with me and keep that in mind when you think about this when Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul is passionately pleading with us to do something. Now, we are all, we're all slaves to sin. We were just like the Egyptians or the Israelites. We were in slavery in the world system and in sin because we had no choice but to live that way because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But then we find mercy. Mercy is such a beautiful word. If you probably heard it described, grace and mercy is like two sides of a coin. Grace, by the way, my favorite way of understanding grace is the Old Testament forerunner to the word grace is loving kindness. God's loving kindness towards us, one side, and then mercy on the other side. You are not going to get what you deserve when you die. We all deserve hell for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us deserves and has earned separation from a holy God for eternity. For the wages of sin is death. But you have received mercy. You are not going to get what you deserve when you die. And based upon that, being set free out of bondage, out of slavery, brought out of your Egypt into new life, adopted into the family of God, a new purpose, a new direction. You have a life to live for the Lord. But you've got to present your body. You've got to be willing to say to God, here am I. Now, the issue with surrender is a few things. Lots of little lies that Satan likes to throw out when we talk to surrender. I mentioned the first one is that when you surrender, that you're going to surrender to something. Like, I'm going to surrender to be a missionary, or I'm going to surrender to be a pastor, or a pastor's wife. But nowhere in this context or with Moses for that matter, or with the Apostle Paul for that matter, did Jesus say, surrender to be a fill-in-the-blank. We don't surrender to a work. We surrender to someone. 
We present our bodies to the Lord. We surrender to Him. Now, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, who left the glory of God in heaven and came down and lived in this sin-cursed, fallen world because He loves us. Because he knew that was the only way for us to find forgiveness of sins and eternal life and to have peace with God so we can be in heaven with God forever. He came and did that for you. And you have this little life, this short little life to live here on this earth. And you're not your own. He gave everything for us. We surrender to him. Now, he is someone I can trust my life with. He's someone I can surrender. I have no idea. When I surrendered all those years ago in my garage in Portland, Oregon, if I had any idea of what God was going to ask me to go through, I would have literally ran in terror. Okay? Think about Paul. Had no idea. Paul told, uh, uh, Jesus told Ananias about Paul. He said, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul surrendered to Jesus Christ. The work followed the surrender. So we're not asking you to surrender to something. Paul doesn't say, present your bodies to become a missionary. Paul encourages and challenges each and every single one of us. No matter how young you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter what your talents and treasure and gifting is, no matter how old you are, no matter if you're married or single, have children, no children, it doesn't matter. You present your body as a living sacrifice to God. You trust the work to Him because you can trust Him. You see, the Bible tells us, I mentioned this verse a couple times today already, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one of my favorite Bible verses. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You understand that you personally are specifically and uniquely created in Christ Jesus unto good work, unto something that God has before ordained. I'm a very visual person. That word ordained to me looks like this. This is you and this is some work. That's ordained. Perfectly created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by the works, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then you have something you can do. And it is work that only you can do. I can't do it for you. Your loved ones can't do it for you. You personally have something that God has created you in Christ Jesus to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that excites me. Because I spent so many years of my life trying to figure out, what is the point? What is the purpose of this? Getting bigger, better, and more. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling. It's without purpose, and it doesn't have any eternal value. I have a quote written in the front of my Bible that I always completely misquote. But it basically says this. My greatest fear in life is not being a failure. It's being a success at something that has no eternal value. I don't want to live my life just so that at the end of my life I have a big bank account, nice house, nice car, and I die and go to heaven, praise God, saved as if by fire, but have nothing in heaven to show for the life I've lived in the flesh. That's the way most people, most Christians live. But that's not God's will. He says that we should walk in them. Christ did all the work working you into the perfect picture of what you need to be to accomplish the work. That with the intent that we should walk in them. But he's not going to make you do it. You've got to be willing to surrender. You've got to be willing to say, here am I, Lord. 
When I sat stood in that garage all those years ago, I literally thought, I have no idea what you could possibly do with this uneducated carpenter. What possibly could God use me to do? See, if I had thought of that, I would have stopped. But instead, I thought of Jesus and what he'd done for me. And because of that, I surrendered and said, here am I. And where I am today is a direct relationship because that day I surrendered. I gave him my life. Not to a work, but to someone. Another lie that Satan tells us is, if you surrender your life to the Lord, you're going to be miserable. You have to give up everything fun, everything you enjoy in this life. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the loving Father who loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. That's like the parable of talents, the man who had the one talent who buried it in the ground because he says, I knew thee to be a hard man. That is not the God of the Bible. God is not a hard man looking to make you miserable. Your pastor mentioned it earlier. People think if they surrender, God's going to send you to Africa because, of course, that would be the most miserable place you could possibly imagine, right? You know, honestly, for me, it would be harder for me to come here than to go to Africa. You know why? I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, and the good works is not here, it's there. God does not send you someplace to make you miserable. He takes you someplace where you are perfectly designed by God in Christ Jesus to do a good work. Where you go, wow, I finally know what I'm doing. I finally know why I'm here. I finally know why he's not just taking me home. Because I'm doing what God has created me to do. Far from being miserable. If you surrender to him, he loves his servants. He takes very good care of those who love him. And you can trust him. And your desires, you commit thy works unto the Lord, he shall give you the desires of your heart. He, you, the things you like, the things you love. I find it kind of funny, to be honest with you. My wife and I love water. We love islands. We love tropical. Never thought it would be an island on the west coast of Africa with no electricity, no running water, 13 hours from the nearest uh, grocery store. But we have tropical and an island and water. You know, those are the desires, the things that God has put in us. One, my earliest memories, one of my very earliest memories in California, before I was a Christian, long before I was a Christian, I had a map on the wall, and I would put pins all over the places around the world that I wanted to see. God gave me a love of adventure. I've been skydiving and bungee jumping. I've ridden my motorcycle to the Arctic Circle. I backpack around Europe. I've done so many adventurous things because I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he knew that if he put me in a place where I have to take boats where we're bailing the water out at 1 o'clock in the morning on the, on the water with no electricity, or you put me in the bush on a motorcycle with monkeys screaming in the background with palm trees, I'm going to be exactly where he needs me to be. Now, I don't know what he's made you for, but I know from his word, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that there's a work he wants you to do. And it's so exciting to think about the possibilities of what that might be. But no matter what it turns out to be, it is the best feeling in the entire world to know you are in God's will doing exactly what God wants you to do. If you were to die right now, you would hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, you've got to understand that surrender is a choice you have to make. And it is made by faith. And it is made to every one of us, no matter how old. You see that God needs 
faithful young ladies, faithful young men that say, I will present my bodies to you. I will give you everything I have. I don't know what that means, but I want to serve you. God wants and needs men and women, husbands and wives to say, I will love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm not going to look at every woman that walks by and lust in my heart. I'm going to love the Lord my God. I'm going to love my wife. God wants people who are surrendered to say, yes, I'm at that age where I could retire, but instead I'm going to give my life to you. And I'm going to use the time and treasures, the wisdom that I have, and I'm going to let you use me because you're his workmanship. He wants you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is everything you have, you give to him. Now, when I was sick with COVID, and I'm dying in the hospital and I come out and I'm paralyzed. You realize that, that my body still belonged to him. Sometimes the things when we give him our body, sometimes he will put us through hard things. But as I said this morning, he wanted to be exalted, right? He wanted to give glory. He wanted to use it. And I was willing to give myself to him, trusting him. Because the truth is, he's the resurrection and the life. The sickness was not unto death. Had I died in this body two years ago, I would be in the presence of my God and Savior in heaven. That means we can live. That means we can trust Him. No matter what this body has to go through, no matter what hardships or trials, if you know you're going through it. Think about this. This morning I challenged you that there's someone in your life who's unsaved, right? Somebody you love that's unsaved that they died today would go to hell. Let me ask you this. If you knew that if God gave you cancer and in six months you die, but through that experience and your faith and testimony, that person you love would get saved, would that be worth doing? Would you be willing to give that to gain heaven so that someone you love could get saved? If not, we got to get a right understanding of God and of heaven. Absent from the bodies present with the Lord. See, we present our bodies. We have no idea what he wants to do. But the laborers are few. And the sad fact is that most likely, if you talk to your pastor, you talk to people serving this church, the laborers are few right here, right in this church right now. But they don't have to be. If you will present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Now, he's passionately pleading with us. Because Paul has traveled all around the known world at that time. He'd seen so many people reject the Lord. He'd seen so many people get saved. He'd seen so many churches started and the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And he's, so, he's like almost alone. And he looks around and says, the laborers are few, but people are getting saved. And he's starting the church in Corinth and in Ephesus and Philippi. And he says, why are the laborers few? And he's, he said, can't you see there's something to be done for the Lord? But we fall into this rut of bigger, better, more. Somehow, I, I, one of the most heartbreaking things that I, that I witnessed actually just happened about six months ago. I'm going to tell you a short story about two different men. The first man, very, very intelligent in high school, very patriotic. He was an ROTC, very, very, uh, had a heart and desire to really see America blessed. And, and he wanted to be the first man in his family to go to college. And he, he told me, he's like, my goal is uh, within five years of getting out of college, I want to have a six-figure income. He said, I want an office and I want a, a bank account. It was like just this dream. 
And he did it. He went to college. He graduated with a business degree. He's now a very wealthy man, and he has a lot of money, and he, has, he, has, he literally accomplished his goal. Well, then, six months ago, I was at a church, and this young man who just graduated from high school, I, I was there the day that they did the graduation ceremony, and I said, what's your plans now? He said, oh, he said, brother, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree in IT. And he said, and within five years, I want to get a, a five-figure, five six-figure income. And he said, I've got a plan all laid out. And it was like exactly the same plan. The problem is that the first one was my unsaved brother, the atheist I told you about. And the second one is this young man who got saved at 14, grew up in the church through the youth group, and their life goals were exactly the same. Paul says, be not conformed to this world. When our desires, our whole point of being is just like an unsaved people in the world, there's something missing. See, that passionately, beseech, the passionately pleading, when Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, it is not only relating to the presenting your bodies. It's also, and be not conformed to this world. Paul is passionately pleading with us, his brethren, not to be conformed. This, when I teach this uh, passage to youth, I have a little foam ball. That's a, uh, it's a globe. has a world on it. And I cut a little slit in the top of this globe. And I have a little figure. And I said, this is you. I said, this is the world. When you are conformed to the world, what happens is I put this person and I just start shoving him into the hole. You look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, have the same dreams as the world, same goals as the world. And then by this time, the person's disappearing and all the world sees is the world. Years ago, I was at a church, and this, young, this man got saved in an RU program. He's like this tall, this wide, tattooed from head to toe, big biker guy. And he gave a testimony. He said, when I came to this church, I was not looking for people that looked like me, acted like me, and talked like me. That's what the world has. I had everything the world had to offer. I was looking for something different. I was looking for people who didn't look like everyone else. And I came to church, and I found that. Why? Because the people in the church were not conformed to this world. He found what he needed because someone dared to be transformed. And then what I do with those kids is I have a little cross that's hidden inside and I pull it out. Because what people are supposed to see when they look at us is they're supposed to see Christ. They're supposed to see the cross. They're not supposed to see us looking and acting and talking just like the world. And please understand, I'm not talking about wearing a suit. Okay? But the thing is, with, with, what you have to understand about conformity to this world is this. Christianity is not about what we don't do. Do you understand that? Christianity is not tick boxes. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do this, don't do this. Now, don't get me wrong. We should not be doing those things. They're sin. They're things that Christ had to die for, for us. Christianity is defined by the things we do. That's what makes us Christians. Jesus Christ not only came and lived a sinless, perfect life, but he also fulfilled all righteousness. He always did that which was good. And then his righteousness is given to us. And we can do good by faith in Jesus Christ. We can live in that relationship with him. We don't have to look like the world and act like the world. We can live like him and act like him. When we get to the end of this life, if I had died two years ago, I can tell you with all confidence, if I was standing in heaven, I would not miss the money in my bank account. I would not miss a house that I don't own, a car. I wouldn't miss my iPhone. I wouldn't miss anything in this life. 
I literally realized I would only miss two things. Neither one of them were things. The first was the opportunity to serve the Lord and feel that pleasure. The second one was my family whom I love. They're saved, but they're going to be with me in heaven. I wouldn't miss anything here. You see, if someone can take something from you that you love, it's an idol. No one can take Christ from us. No one can take the one we should love with our whole hearts. The world wants us to conform and love the things of this world. He wants us to focus on things that have no eternal value at all. And Paul passionately pleads with us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed, look different, act different, be different by faith in Jesus Christ. Years ago, I was sharing the gospel with my sister and her and her husband in their living room in Oregon. And I'm, we're talking to them and we're explaining the gospel. And my sister interrupts me and she says, John, you forget I know who you used to be. I looked at her and said, thank God you said that. You're right. You know who I used to be. But look who I am now in Christ. She couldn't say, I know who you are. She said, I know who you used to be. And that's the point. People should look at you and know who you used to be. But then you got saved. And now you look like Christ and you act like Christ and people see Christ the way you live. And that will make them want what you have to offer. Conformity does no good. It hurts. It destroys testimonies. It destroys marriages. It destroys ministries. It destroys the work we can do for the Lord. Transformation. Now that's something else. That's that picture, that butterfly that goes in this ugly, disgusting caterpillar and comes out this beautiful butterfly. By the power of Christ, you have a life that can be beautiful, a life of purpose and value. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy in any way whatsoever. I've shared some of my testimony. Any of you can share your testimony. It is not that we are somehow then saved out of the trouble of this world, but our trouble has purpose. And we do not have to have no hope. We can trust Him. We can surrender to Him. He, we, he knows us. He created us. He's given us a purpose. He's given us something to do. And I promise you, you can trust Him with your life. One of the most crazy things that we do as Christians is we will accept Jesus for salvation. We will trust Him for our everlasting life. Right? But we won't trust Him for the next 30 years. I see this all around the world. You'll have people who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, but when things get hard, things get difficult, you really know where their faith lies. Okay? Oh, that doctor better heal me. I'm terrified. That doctor better save me. In Africa, the people go back to the witch doctor. They know Christ, but they go back to what they know because they don't trust Him for now. They might trust Him forever, but not for now. The God who saved you, who loved you so much, who came and lived in this world, was spit upon and beaten and crucified and saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then said, it is finished. You can trust Him. Not just for eternity, but for right here and right now. The laborers are few. They don't have to be. If you will say to God, here am I. I love Jesus. I think you do too. If you love him, that love should motivate us to serve him. Paul says, 
which is your reasonable service. And I'm going to close with that because I know we're all tired. If you think about that word, it's an accounting term. It's two plus two equals four. Okay? It's only reasonable. You reason it out. You think about the sacrifice for, of a God who loved you yet while you were yet sinners. Even knowing that most people in the world were going to spit upon his only begotten son and not accept him as savior. That God who loves you so much that gave everything for you, held nothing back. He presented his body as a living sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He became sin for us on the cross. That God, when you add that up, two plus two equals, here my Lord, take me. I am bought with a price. I'm not my own. This life does not belong to me. It belongs to you. And I want to be used of you. And you have a purpose for me. You've done all the hard work. And all you're asking me to do is by love to say, here am I. That is the only reasonable thing that we can do. And I heard this, and it is so convicting to me. He said, with everything I just said, if that is the only reasonable thing we can do, do you realize this? Then anything less then that is unreasonable. It's like two plus two is five. It just doesn't add up. And when the world looks at us and they say, wait a minute, you say you believe, you say you have faith, but we're not seeing it. Something doesn't add up. And then they question. But if they see your faith, they see you believe, and you say you do, what you, what you say you actually do, the world is going to take notice. And they may listen to what you have to say when you share the gospel with them. But it comes with surrender. Each and every one of you, I can tell you that apart from salvation, the best decision I've ever made in my entire life was the day I said to God, here am I. Having no idea what the Lord was going to do. But thank God for the last 12 years, I've had a life that didn't just look like the world like I lived in before. I can't wait to stand before my Lord and Savior. I am not perfect. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am nothing. I am a worm. But I get to stand because of Christ before him and here. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because he's given me everything I need to do it. And he's given you everything you need. And just like Paul, I passionately plead with you that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, it is the only reasonable thing we can do. And the laborers are so few. Pray and release. Father God, I just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to preach and share with the, these, this precious group of your believers. Father, I do pray that you'd send forth laborers into your harvest. The laborers are few. They're few here in San Antonio. They're few in Texas. They're few in America. They're few all over the world in the uttermost. And Father God, we need people willing to surrender themselves, not to something, but to someone. We need people who say, I have no idea what you could do with me in humility, being honest before God, but saying, here's my life. Please, Lord, use it for your glory. Help me to bring glory and honor to your name. No matter what it takes, even in my death, I can glorify you. Father, please help us, Lord, to have a strong testimony so that we can, through that, reach more people with your precious gospel. We thank you and praise you. Pastor, thank you. Please keep your heads bowed. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to ask this question.